Coming up today, is Apple going to make a foldable iPhone? The US goes back to the moon, Elon Musk puts a brain chip in a human for the very first time, and some concerning developments in the world of artificial intelligence. That's all coming up on episode 124. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skelly, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. Okay, today's episode is going to be somewhat science fiction-y in its theme. I don't set out to do a theme each month on these emails that I send out. I just try to keep my eyes and ears open throughout the month, things that come across that I find interesting, that I find relevant, that I want to share with you all. I just put them aside and make a list throughout the month, and at the end of the month, I just compile what are my four or five favorite stories. This month, for whatever reason, a lot of these are sort of real life is stranger than science fiction, and... Um, I don't know, maybe maybe those, these are just the things that appeal to me personally, but I, I think you'll find them interesting. The first one we're starting with is not really actually very science fiction-y, but it's, it does have to do with something that affects most of our lives, and that is Apple's iPhone. The rumor is that Apple will be making a foldable iPhone, or at least they're trying to develop a foldable iPhone. Now, Apple has turned heads recently with the Vision Pro headset. You've probably seen that that uh, virtual reality, augmented reality headset. And I think, I mean, that, that might be one of the biggest things that Apple's done in years, and it might really change the landscape. That might become a very normal thing for people to, 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 to wear these goggles, these headsets, and have sort of an augmented reality experience. That might become the norm, and Apple might lead the charge into that, or it, it might kind of fizzle out. Uh, that remains to be seen. But that might not be the only big news that comes from Apple this year. A foldable iPhone would be, I think it would be big news. Now, foldable phones have been around for a while now. I think Samsung has made some foldable phones. I, I've seen some and um, check some out, like, you know, when you go to the Verizon store and you can see the different displays and different ones they're at. It feels, at least the ones that I've seen, they feel cheap. They feel a little bit flimsy and you have that crease in the middle. So it's like great that you have that extra screen space when you flip the phone out the full way but it does feel like you're lacking somewhat in quality. This would be a big departure from the familiar iPhone design. So that would certainly be a surprise if Apple decides to go this route. But at the same time, think about it. When's the last time that Apple announced a new iPhone that didn't kind of get a collective sort of yeah, yawn? Like every year it just kind of seems to be the same thing. Better camera, better processing chip, more memory. And that's great. And that's nice, but those are not wow factors. And it's not like the original iPhones. When the original iPhones came out, they were game changers. They were leading the charge. They had features and they had capabilities that nobody had really even thought of to have. And they were on the cutting edge. And really, Samsung and other competitors have really been, they've really been ahead of iPhone on a lot of different capabilities of their phones. It's just that iPhone has the ease of use and really sort of the strong pull of marketing. And, and anyway, it would be a big move for iPhone. I would be really interested to see if it does happen. They had thought about, or they had talked about potentially doing a foldable iPad as well. So might be one or the other or both, but again, that remains to be seen. Second article that I have for you this month is about Elon Musk's company, Neuralink. Now this has been on my radar for a while. I don't know if you've seen this already. I may have talked about it before. 
Neuralink is a brain chip that is inserted directly into the brain. Like there's an incision made in your skull and a chip is implanted. Now this has not, up until now, had not been used for humans. This, is a bit, this had been in development. They'd uh, tried it on many different animal subjects, including uh, chimpanzees, with a lot of success. And the idea is basically you take this chip, you insert it into the brain and connect it, which don't ask me how you connect it because I don't even understand how it gets connected. But basically it gets connected to the brain's motion cent center, like the area of your brain where you process motion. And there's a wireless, and it's a wireless chip. So the signals that it's receiving from the brain into this chip are then able to be sent to a computer. And, what, and, and, and so if you want to look this up, like th this is crazy. This is probably from a year or two ago. It's a chimp that has the Neuralink and it's controlling a mouse on a screen with its brain wirelessly. And it was like a little game where if it moves the mouse over here, then it gets a treat. And so it learned how to do play this game with its mind to move the mouse so it gets this treat. Now, the, the recent, just this month, it was announced that Neuralink had its first successful implant in a human being. Reportedly, the first patient is now able to control that computer mouse using only their thoughts, which again, reality stranger than science fiction in a lot of ways. How, how many of us would have thought that we would ever have lived into a moment like this? Now, right now, the use of Neuralink is only, they're only using it for people that have um, paralysis of some sort, like quadriplegics. And it makes sense because these are people that don't have regular control over their motor functions. So therefore, they would be the most helped by a technology like this, right? And being able to aid in communication and processing and just being able to have some, some level of autonomy since, since they don't have control over their hands or feet. But Neuralink does hope to eventually be able to, through Neuralink technology, rewire, reconnect th those elements of the brain to the body so that people can regain motor function, which that's like another level of wild. So, so far, apparently the first person, it was successful surgery and they're making progress. And, and it's really kind of crazy to think where this might go in the next few years and, and just even the ethical implications of all of, uh, of, of all of this might bring. Just the fact that through Neuralink, ostensibly we could be connected to the internet at all times. You know, right now it's kind of this slow sort of bogged down. We're connected to the internet at all times through our phone, through our computer, but it's it's that clunky we have to we have to type in, we have to you know navigate ourselves. But what if you could just navigate and do a search, a Google search just using your brain or navigate a social media page, scroll using your brain. Like that's crazy stuff. Okay, third article still on, on along the lines of kind of science fiction and Moving now to AI, this one's a little bit more of a humorous story, but Air Canada must issue a refund to a passenger who um, was offered a refund by the airline's chatbot. <laughs> so you've probably done this before. You got on a website, you're, you're scrolling, and all of a sudden a little bubble pops up. Hi, I'm Alex. You know, do you have any questions? And you know, it's it's a chatbot. It's not a real person. A lot of times they'll they'll you know put a little picture of a person so it makes you feel more comfortable in interacting with it. But it's just a chatbot. It's something that's programmed that has all the basic information to answer frequently asked questions that people might have about navigating the site or things with, with that company or that product. Well, Air Canada, they had a chatbot. Lady gets on the site, chatbot pops up. She starts asking questions about the refund policy and bereavement policy. And it says, yes, you can 
book a flight, and if you need to cancel within 90 days for bereavement, you'll get a refund. Well, it turns out that was not actually Air Canada's refund policy. So she followed the advice of the chatbot, tried to tried to cancel her flight and get a refund. Air Canada says, no, that's not our policy. And they said, well, well, you know, we'll give you $200, but you know, you can't listen to the chatbot because the chatbot was wrong. And so she's like, well, hey, that what gives? That that's not fair. I mean, your chatbot, it's on your site. You know, it's it's the same. That's that's Air Canada telling me that that I can get a refund. So she filed a, a small claims, uh, a small claims complaint, got taken to you know an independent tribunal that ruled in her favor, and they said yes. Air Canada was trying to argue that the chatbot does not speak for the company, and the chatbot cannot be held responsible for any information that it gives to people. And the tribunal said, no, that's not cool. That's, that's not going to be the case. And so she was awarded her refund plus damages. And uh, just kind of a little bit more of a humorous example of AI. But I think what we're starting to see is that AI is just going to become integrated into so many aspects of our life. And so, you know, big companies like Air Canada love AI because, wow, now I don't, you know, we have to pay less and less people to do actual customer support. We can outsource that to the robots. But what happens when the robots don't do their job and then they want to, you know, jump back and raise their hands like, oh no, you can't hold us uh, accountable. So I guess this was a win for the the uh, the consumer and, and, and all of that. Fourth story, also dealing with AI, not a humorous story though. This one is deeply concerning. A deep fake video scammed a UK company out of over $25 million. Now, deep fake videos are um, videos where you take somebody's likeness or even their voice and put together a video that looks like that person and sounds like that person, but it's not that person. So it's, so it's like an AI generated type of video. And this technology is getting so good that now people are able to use it to pull off this level of scam, like movie level heist type scams of you know millions and millions of dollars. So what happened is there was an employee, uh, part of a multinational company based, and, and the employee was based in Hong Kong. The employee gets a invitation to a video conference call with their boss, I believe it was the CFO, and several other employees of the company. So these are people that this employee knows and doesn't suspect that this is a scam in any way, gets on the video call. Every single person on the call except this employee is a deep fake. And what they're able to do is by collecting video imaging of these other people that's you know ostensibly accessible out there on the internet, YouTube or wherever, and then also their voice, they were able to read from a script and the voice sounded like this person and the video looked like this person on a video call. And because, you know, probably video calls just by nature of kind of the, the lagging and, and, you know, maybe the video quality is not the strongest person fell for it. They said afterwards it, you know, they, they had a little bit of doubt at first, like something didn't seem right, but the voices and the video seemed real enough and they went along with it. And of course the, you know, the scammers directed this person who uh, you know apparently had control over large amounts of the company's funds to send money to such and such you know fake company, and they did, and the scammers got over twenty five million dollars. As of the writing of the article, they had not caught them yet. But it just it goes to show how deep fake technology, how that's going to become a, a more and more concerning aspect of life across the board. So certainly people that work for large businesses that are in charge of sending lots of money, it's concerning for them, but it's concerning for, you know, say voters, you know, with the upcoming election, we've already seen um, fake robocalls being sent out of, 
you know, clips of Joe Biden or Donald Trump saying something just like off the wall. And the voice sounds exactly like them, but they're fake. These are things that were they didn't actually say, but they're really indistinguishable, especially from an audio uh, perspective. And now, as we move into the election, what happens if there's there's a video of something? You know, people are going to be dubious to say, is this real or is this just a deep fake video? And how do we how do we tell the difference? How can we prove it is or it isn't? I think that's concerning. And even just on a, on a personal level scam of, you know, people um, impersonating, you know, a, a grandchild, people impersonating a loved one, people impersonating a celebrity and, you know, just kind of the Nigerian prince scam, email scam being taken to a whole nother level. I don't know if we're ready for what that might entail. So that's deeply concerning to me. Let's not end on a super depressing note. Let's go to our fifth and final uh, article. We landed on the moon again. I, this this news kind of flew under the radar a little bit. I didn't see a lot about it, but I was surprised to find the very first U.S. spacecraft to land on the moon in more than 50 years. It just happened. Uh, it was a lunar probe. It was sent out by, as a private company, Intuitive Machines that built it, worked in conjunction with NASA to build uh, Odysseus, was the name of the lunar probe, only about 14 feet high. And it successfully landed on, the, landed on the moon's surface just a few days ago. Again, so really surprising because this is the first time that we've been back to the moon since 1972. Now, it's not a manned mission, so maybe that's why it didn't get as much attention. But, um, yeah, I mean, you think about it, 1969, Neil Armstrong steps on the moon. We send several manned missions and uh, lunar probes during that, you know, the, those, those few-year window. Uh, apparently, I mean, I, I know it's very expensive and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of money and time and energy, you know, to, to you know, put something on the moon. And I guess there wasn't enough of an incentive these last 50 years for us to do something like that. But unfortunately for Odysseus, it did land successfully, but it toppled over on its side. There was some issue with as it was coming down for a landing. The other kind of crazy thing about this as reading the article is because the way the moon rotates is very, very slow, if you land on the moon like Odysseus has, that area will be in sunlight, you know, the visible part of the moon. It will be there for about two weeks. And then as the moon turns, it'll be in darkness for two weeks because it takes, I think, 27 days for the moon to make a full rotation. And when it's rotating and it gets in darkness, it's so cold that all of the equipment then is basically rendered useless. So they've got a very short window of time, about eight days, to do what they need to do with Odysseus and all the different experiments, pictures, different things that they want to do on the lunar surface. And then it's basically lost to the ages because once the cold comes and the darkness comes, it'll be unusable. So kind of crazy to think all of that time and effort and then you get to the landing and then it lands on its side and now it's, it's kind of a bummer. But the, if you want to see some pictures that were taken from, the, uh, from Odysseus, those are also, there's a link in the article as well. And then always uh, on the Money Minute email that I send out each month, a couple popular posts, uh, the power of compound interest and what it does over time. Time is your biggest friend when it comes to investing. And then a great visual about failure. I won't try to try to explain the visual to you. You just have to see it. If you're not getting the monthly email and you want to, just go to my website, nateskelly.com, and you can fill out the form there, uh, put in your email, and I'll, I'll make sure to put you on that list and send out uh, one email a month and just some of the most interesting articles that I've found. So that's going to do it for me for today. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll see you on the next episode.